Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to The Narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme. Your next storyteller is Jim Hunt. Jim has been acting in Denver theater for over 50 years, including a run as Zeus in Buntport Theater's The Zeus Problem. As a side note, he is one of my dearest friends, and I sorely miss getting hugs from him. Jim shared this story in front of a Zoom audience back in December and then was kind enough to re-record it with us because we had technical difficulties. The theme of the show that night was hindsight. That time of year thou mayest in me behold, when yellow leaves, or none, or few, do hang upon those boughs that shake against the cold, bare ruined choirs, where late the sweet birds sang. In me thou seest the twilight of such day as after sunset fadeth in the west, which by and by black night doth take away death's second self that seals up all in rest. In me thou seest the glowing of such fire, as on the ashes of his youth doth lie, as the deathbed when I must expire, consumed with that which it was nourished by. This thou perceivest, which makes thy love more strong, to love that well, which thou must leave ere long. I am a memorizer. Sonnet 73 is one of four of Shakespeare's 154 sonnets I have held in my memory for decades. The strange thing is, I don't remember ever making a conscious effort to learn them, but I do often review them just to see if they're still in there. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Sonnet 18. Not marble nor the gilded monuments of princes shall outlive this powerful rhyme. Sonnet 55. My mistress' eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips red. Sonnet 130. Accompanying these 56 sonnet lines are hundreds of other bits and pieces from Shakespeare's plays, most notably the first speech of Theseus, who opens A Midsummer Night's Dream. That speech has stayed in my brain for at least 55 years. Why? Well, in the summer of 1964, when I was part of the company of the Little Theater of the Rockies, I had learned five roles in six plays in eight weeks. On opening night of dreams, smack in the middle of my opening speech, center stage, I went totally blue sky, mid-sentence. Apparently, I smacked my forehead and sat down on my throne, my mind roiling. And then, with barely a moment's hesitation, I jumped several lines and threw a coherent cue to my wife, Hippolyta mercifully not derailing the entire play at the very beginning. The next day, my director summoned me to the theater where I was required to repeat that opening speech dozens and dozens of times. That experience almost literally branded those lines onto my brain. I could do them now, but I won't. Having acted in Denver theater for 50 years, I expect people to just assume that memorizing is a natural and integral part of what I do, but there's more to it than that. My father often told me that at the age of two, 
I could recite the entire Visit from St. Nicholas by Clement Clark Moore on demand for anyone willing to listen. He confessed ultimately to discouraging me from doing it because it just seemed too precocious. He may have prevented me from performing, but his gag order didn't erase that poem from my memory. It was the night before Christmas and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. I could do the other 52 lines, but I won't. When I was in ninth grade, I saw a wonderful production of Thornton Wilder's Our Town and immediately set about committing a good bit of it to memory. Sixty years later, when I was 75 and had the great privilege of playing the stage manager in Miner's Alley Playhouse's production, tackling that daunting line load was made considerably easier because I had kept so much of that play in my memory all those decades. The first act shows a day in our town. The day is May 7th, 1901, the time. It's just before dawn. Oh, the sky is beginning to show some streaks of light over in the east there behind our mountain. The morning star always gets wonderful bright the minute before it has to go, doesn't it? I could do a, a good bit more of that play. I, I won't pretend the entire three acts are in my head, but a significant amount of it is. I, I could share what I do remember, but I won't. As the years have gone by, I've been asked often to speak at a variety of events, such as graduations, weddings, funerals. And as I sit down to put my thoughts on paper, I invariably end up relying heavily on the words of others, their poems, their plays, their songs, their essays, their stories, their novels. You ask me to speak at a graduation, the topic is living a meaningful life. Safe upon the solid rock, the ugly houses stand. Come and see my shining palace built upon the sand. My candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night. But ah, my foes and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. Edna St. Vincent Millay. To put meaning in one's life may end in madness, but life without meaning is the torture of restlessness and vague desire. It is a boat longing for the sea and yet afraid. George Gray's epitaph from Edgar Lee Masters' Spoon River Anthology. You ask me to speak at a wedding, the topic is love or passion, and yet I wish but the thing I have, my bounty is as boundless as the sea, my love as deep. The more I give to thee, the more I have, for both are infinite. Of course, from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, Juliet's lines. From the poet, maybe my favorite poet, Emily Dickinson, wild nights, wild nights, were I with thee, wild nights would be our ecstasy. Futile the winds to a heart in port, done with the compass, done with the chart, rowing in Eden, ah, the sea. Might I but moor tonight in thee.
<laughs> Emily, <laughs> you asked me to speak at a funeral on the topic of course death. Emily Dickinson again, the bustle in a house the morning after death, the solemnness of industries enacted upon earth, the sweeping up the heart and putting love away, we shall not want to use again until eternity. And probably <clears throat> most meaningful to me, a line from Robinson Jeffers, I admired the beauty while I was human. Now, I am part of the beauty. And that phrase, now I am part of the beauty, is actually etched on my father's tombstone in Fort Morgan, Colorado. He died 50 years ago. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I would love to have a word count of the thousands of poems, song lyrics, especially Stephen Sondheim's, lines from plays that are stored in my brain. Since I believe one of the main functions of the brain is to forget things, lest we go mad, it's doubly amazing to me that mine has stored so much. Maybe I'm some kind of weird curator or, or preservationist. So what does this rant about my ability to memorize have to do with tonight's theme? Hindsight. Well, ruminating about hindsight inevitably led me to inventorying regrets and regretting that I had not become the writer I always thought I would be, cast something else into sharp relief, my penchant for memorizing the words of others instead of writing my own. I mean, of course I write, even well, I, I think, but it's not the same. I found over the years that the discipline needed to be a writer as well as the commitment eluded me. I would have ideas, flesh them out in my head, and then feel as if I'd already captured them in writing. I realized I was in love with the idea of being a writer, but that I lacked the fundamental need to write that most of the writers I know seem to have. I, I also was intimidated by what had already been written, certain that what I had to say had already been said, and better than I could ever say it. What makes my not writing even stranger is that I have taught writing most of my life. The company I created in the mid-80s is called The Right Unintended Idea. It specializes in business writing and the fundamentals of English grammar. My best friend, Josh Hartwell, who is a serious, disciplined playwright, thinks that my gift for memorizing is a gift to poets and playwrights whose words I treasure and store and breathe life into. In hindsight, I'm pretty sure I've been selling myself short. The Narrators is produced by Ron Doyle and me, Aaron Rollman, with help from Karen Wachtel, Jesse Witten, Scott Carney, and Sydney Crane. Ron edited this episode. A special thanks to all of our sponsors, Buntport Theatre Company, Illegal Pete's from the Hip Photo, and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whalehawk, and we would also like to thank Jobless, who provided the outro music you are listening to right now. You can find a link to their music in the show notes for this episode. While you're there, leave us a review, because it helps other people find our podcast. 
As always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or at our website, thenarrators.org. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs>